everybody and welcome to Comics and Cinema. I'm your host Alex Klein and this is our first live stream. Really excited to see some of you in there in the comments. Uh, we're here on YouTube through the Nerd Life Network and huge shout out to our leader Brian for helping me out on this uh, live stream making sure I know how to use the system. A lot of fumbling, a lot of messing around but we are here and we are live and we've got a couple of things to talk about today. So super excited to dive into it but before we do some of you maybe haven't heard of me or haven't listened to my podcast and so I wanted to take some time to kind of introduce myself. So as you guys can see my name is Alex, Alex Klein and I have been podcasting now for about two years uh, on comics and cinema, which you can find on any podcast catcher, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, SoundCloud. Uh, and we talk about all kinds of crazy things on comics and cinema. And so earlier today, I went through my episodes and was kind of finding some highlights of what, you know, oh, if you like this, you might want to listen to this. So hopefully as I read this off, some of these things are uh, things that you enjoy and would want to listen to. A lot of these are just me, uh, but a lot of them have fantastic guests along with me. So that's kind of how our show is going to go as well. Uh, typically, it'll be just me going on, but I will also have guests on as well for people who are you know, passionate about certain topics. So some of the things kind of going back down the line of my episodes, uh, every year I do yearly tops. So top TV, top movies, also top anime, along with uh, the Oscars. I do Oscars pre and post shows. Uh, I did a really cool episode around nostalgia and media. That was really fun. Uh, Spider-Man, comics. Uh, we have a great MCU celebration episode. Uh, also a ton of horror episodes that I didn't realize I did so many of, but we've done Halloween Kills, Malignant, Fe the Fear Street Trilogy, all of the Mummy movies, as I'm sure some of you know, some of my favorite films, The Purge Quadrilogy, uh, which was a huge one, Disney Channel, Original Movies, uh, Godzilla, Jaws, I did the, the Jaws Quadrilogy as well. Um, I also have an episode where I did top films of the decade uh, back when we were turning the, the dial to 2020 uh, and also the Skywalker saga. So if you're a fan of Star Wars, we did an episode on every single Star Wars movie. Uh, and then at the very beginning, too, one of the reasons I had gotten into this was because I wanted to talk Marvel. And so some of the earlier episodes I did called Infinity Saga and Me, which was a couple of episodes around different phases of the MCU and where I was, how it felt watching those movies for the first time. Uh, and I, I do see in the comments there, too. Uh, my, I did literally predict uh, I only missed two of the Oscars. Uh, it's a lot of thanks to some websites for their predictions. But uh, yeah, so super excited to be talking with you all today uh, and just to be a part of the Nerd Life Network. This is going to be really fun. I'm excited to talk about all things movies, cinema, TV, comics, you name it. Uh, if, if it's not Marvel, we'll talk about Marvel, but a lot of things won't be Marvel on here. So hopefully you guys are fans of films. With that said, we're diving into the first film of the night, which uh, many of you have seen reviews of. Maybe some of you have seen it as well. It's a little indie flick called Morbius uh, by Sony and in association with Marvel. I'm actually pretty excited to talk about this movie because I initially was really pumped to go see this film. Uh, maybe not initially. I saw the first trailer and I was not excited to see this movie. But then they made a second trailer that looked pretty good. And so I got excited again. But then they delayed the movie. And then they delayed it again and again. And then suddenly there were rumors of weird, you know, oh, this Michael Keaton stuff that's in it. What's going on? 
and my excitement just dwindled more and more. And eventually I decided, okay, I'm going to have to go check this movie out. And so I did. I went last night. I saw it in Dolby. I was the only person in my row. And I also was one of probably five people in the theater, uh, which was pretty interesting. Uh, there was also a really weird sound in the theater, too. I think there was like a broken fan. So it was literally the perfect experience for seeing this film. I really did my best to try and go into it without any expectations. And uh, I was just about as impressed as I thought I was going to be. I actually liked the movie a little bit more than I thought I would. I ended up giving it a 6 out of 10, which is the same I gave to uh, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, and the original Venom. They're right in that same vein. And I think that's kind of what I wanted to open up with is, is an interesting conversation I, I was thinking about on the drive home, which is Sony keeps thinking that they have this like the next big thing. I mean, they, they keep having these pretty, oh, the Craven movie is coming. Oh, look out. We've got uh, the Madam Web movie coming. And Dakota Johnson is a part of Madam Web now. Oh, my gosh. Aaron Taylor Johnson is a part of uh, uh, Craven now. And they make these big, big uh, song and dances for these movies. And then the movies come out and they're, they're incredibly basic. And I know there, there's definitely some uh, a niche market for the Venom movies, uh, just in terms of the kind of kooky comedy that's on there. And uh, obviously Tom Hardy's performance is pretty fun, but they're, they're not great movies by any means. You, you could not compare Venom to probably any of the MCU Marvel movies and probably a lot of the DC movies as well. Uh, and Morbius is right in the same vein. So it's like, I, I was wondering to myself, why is that? And yeah, Kevin, I'm seeing your comment there. Six out of 10 does seem high, but like I said, there are some things that I really liked about this movie and we'll get to that. That's what's keeping it at a six as opposed to putting it at a, you know, a four or three. Um, but so I was thinking and I was like, okay, there's gotta be something that we can figure out with this because we have a lot of data points to go off of these Marvel movies now, right? We've got the Sony Marvel movies and then we have the Marvel Studios Marvel movies, and we have the Sony and Marvel Studios uh, Marvel movies. So we actually have three different data points to look at for the films. You've got the Venom, Morbius, uh, the OG Spider-Man movies in the Sony category. You've got the three Tom Holland Spider-Man for the MCU-Sony collaboration. And then you have all of the MCU's catalog for the MCU. And you can see that in all three of these categories, there's a, there's a consistency with them. With the MCU movies, yeah, there's some that are eh, like, like Thor the Dark World, the Incredible Hulk. Even those, though, even though they're ant, eh, they're still not like terrible. They're not to the point where you would walk out of the theater because you hate them. But then on Sony's side, you've got these movies where you almost want to. I mean, there was, there was maybe one moment where I thought someone in the theater was actually walking out during the movie, but I could have also thought it was because of the fan that they just didn't like hearing that sound anymore. Uh, but then with the Sony Spider-Man movies, the three those are phenomenal movies. And I mean, No Way Home is in my top top Marvel movies of all time. So what's the problem there? And I think when you look at it from those three data points, the problem is Sony. And so when you dive into that Sony section and look at those films, you have a lot, a lot of mediocre movies. And that's not just within Sony's Spider-Man universe. There's a lot of other sides of Sony too, where they just kind of pump out the next movie, they put some money towards it, and then they get really hands-on and they change a lot of stuff. And then the only thing that you may point out is, well, also, Alex, you're forgetting that the End of the Spider-Verse was a Sony movie too. Yes. And so when I when I talk about these data points, that's an outlier because not only is it an animated movie, I think there's an interesting piece there. I haven't uh, confirmed it yet. I'm still, you know, I've emailed Avi Arad so many times. I don't think he wants to talk to me anymore. But 
um, you look at it, and I, I truly think that that movie is a fluke, and and not in a bad way, in a really good way. I think that they, at one point or another, I don't know who it was that came up with the idea, maybe it was Phil Lord and Chris Miller, but they were like, hey, Sony, what if we made an animated Spider-Man movie? Like, no one's done that. It's been a long time. Like, what if we did that? And I bet, I bet the Sony higher-ups were like, honestly, whatever. Like, that sounds fine. Go ahead. We don't care because it's an animated movie. And so they let them do whatever they wanted. They didn't dive into it and try and get hands on with it in the same way that I feel like a lot of these Sony movies kind of. Uh, yeah. And Kevin, there you go. Yeah. Spider-Verse isn't Sony. And it, it, in, in a weird way, I think it's because these powers that be Avia Rad uh, is usually the person I blame. There's a couple of others, a kind of Sony parliament that I don't think they were that involved in the Spider-Verse film. I think they kind of let them do it because it's an animated movie and maybe they're not as familiar with that. And so they get more hands-on with the live action movies and then those live action movies end up not being very good. And we all wonder why. And it's like, well, I don't get it. Why isn't it bad? I was there every day telling them exactly what to do. And it's like, yeah, that's your problem. You're in there telling these movie artists what to do when you have no idea how to do this. And you have a track record that's like 12, 20 years long saying that you don't know how to do this. So I shouldn't have been surprised. Uh, I was still a little, but I shouldn't have been surprised that the movie didn't do as well, both you know critically and commercially as we thought it would. But it just, it makes me a little sad because I've always been of the mind that Sony needs to give those rights back to Marvel. Even if they sell them back, that's fine too. But I, I feel bad because I don't, I feel like we shouldn't act that way, right? Like we, we should be rooting for movie studios and we should be rooting for them to do their best work. Okay, Sony's got it. That's taking some weight off of Marvel Studios that they don't have to worry about Spider-Man. But when you see... Marvel Studios come in and make these Spider-Man movies, and they're so good. You can't help but be like, can you just give them back? Can you please just give the rights back so that we can actually have some good movies? I can't guarantee that Morbius would have been good in the hands of Marvel Studios. I can guarantee that it probably wouldn't have been made at all, at least for a really long time, which is probably what we needed, because I did think at multiple times during this movie, why did the, why does this movie exist? This movie, I don't think, needs to exist. It's, it's one of those weird pocket movies that exists in the early 2000s. And uh, even back then, I, pro I probably would have enjoyed it because Morbius is a character that I've always liked. Uh, I haven't read a lot of comics from him, but he's the living vampire. He's, he's like the main vampire guy in the MCU, him and Blade. I even have a Funko Pop of Morbius that I was telling Brian before the show. Uh, I was going to sell it on eBay before the movie came out. I was like, I'm going to make a killing on this because it was, it was going for pretty high prices. But then when the movie came out and the reviews came out, I was like, there's no way I'm going to get rid of this, this Funko Pop. So uh, he's here with me now forever. So like I said, I was in a row with nobody there. I'm big on respecting people's vision for the movie. I do not pull my phone out during films. But since no one was in my row or the row in front of me or behind me, I did pull my phone out. And I took some notes while I was watching the movie. Uh, literally just a few things that stood out to me. I wish there would have been more to say, uh, but there wasn't. If you've seen the trailers, you've basically seen the movie. Um, but what was interesting is a story of a, of a young boy who has a rare blood disease and lives at a house or a hospital that has other people who have rare blood diseases as well. They don't really explain this, but Jared Harris plays the, the doctor of the hospital. And I was under the assumption he was a bad guy. So I was very untrusting of him at the beginning. But he brings in this new guy named Lucius 
it's either Lucius or Lucy, and they, they, I feel like they jump back and forth with it. But um, he brings this guy in, and Morbius is like, oh, I'm going to call you Milo. Because Milo's the kid that's been in this bed, and there's been multiple Milos. They've all died, so you're the new Milo. It almost felt like the new Doug from Thor, the, uh, Thor Ragnarok. But it was so strange. And the first note that I have is outside of this hospital is a school. And it's like a, a, a preparatory school, basically. They're all wearing uniforms. And these kids are making fun. They're not making fun of Morbius. They're making fun of the hospital. Like the entirety of this hospital of kids with special needs, with blood disorders. And so my note was, man, it must suck being constantly teased by kids for being in a hospital. And, and to the point where Milo faints because those those teases are so vicious like they, they're like get a load of these kids and then milo faints in his hospital bed which i was like man he can't take a joke but at the same time what are kids doing making fun of like that just seems so too early 2000s i feel like that's not a cool joke anymore to be like oh let's go make fun of kids at a hospital but they don't stop there they do that twice uh and i should say too again these these are spoilers for the movie but I have a feeling most of you probably don't care about that. None of this affects the the greater MCU, and honestly, none of this really affects the greater Sony, uh, you know, series as well. Uh, but they come outside, and they're they're on crutches because they can't walk. They can barely walk because of this blood disorder. And these kids start teasing them again and start beating them up. They literally beat up a kid with a blood disorder. And I, again, I'm like, what world do we live in where there's kids that are still that cruel? Like. Someone forgets to tie their shoes like Morbius does during the entire movie. Yeah, I can get I can get that. Make fun of that. But like, why are we making fun of somebody with a blood disorder? Very, very strange. Um, the next note that I have, though, is that I'm, as many of you may know, may not know, I'm a huge fan of rats. And uh, it's, it's more of in a facetious way. I would never own a pet rat. But I put a note in here. They put bat DNA into rat DNA. So we got the bat into the rat. Uh, and then the rat lives, which was pretty cool. That was the test. Morbius goes to Costa Rica or someone out there and, and you know, gets some bats to bite him and brings the blood back. It's, it's very fast. Everything in this movie happens very fast as well. It's a very short movie. Uh, but the next note that I had, too, was in regards to Morbius's uh, footwear. As you can see in multiple scenes, as he's hobbling around, he has his shoelaces are just all over the place. Why doesn't he just wear slip-ons? I don't understand that. I mean, he's in a, he's been in a hospital setting. I guarantee you there were slip-ons in the hospital, uh, but he walks around with regular shoes and doesn't tie them. I get that, that it probably hurts him a lot to bend over. There's got to be someone who is like, hey man, I've got a sick pair of Vans. They're Morbius themed Vans. Here you go. You can wear these. He'd look cool. But instead he just wears his shoes and doesn't tie them. Um, we also get a really interesting cameo in this movie that I don't know if any of you caught, it was a, uh, <laughs> maybe Arthur Harrow's shoes of glass. Yeah, that would have been, it kind of felt like he was walking on shoes with glass though, the way that he, it was interesting. Very interesting. There's a, there's a whole scene with him and Milo walking. It felt like they were walking in slow motion, but they were just kind of, you know, hobbling along the, on the street as everyone's walking past and they're having this really long conversation and they were trying to make it seem like a cool guys walk away from explosion scene. And it wasn't at all. Um, but the uh, this cameo is a secret cameo it's by a gentleman. Uh, his name is uh, I, mean, I have him on here, but he's from the mummy guys is a guy from the mummy. His name was uh, Mr. Daniels in the mummy. He was one of the American adventurers that goes to get the sarcophagi of uh, Imhotep. And he's in this movie as one of the security guards. He comes in and gets uh, 
uh, killed by Morbius after he turns into a vampire. Uh, Brian says, did Milo feel different from Doctor Who? Sorry, guys, I have not seen any Doctor Who. All I have, all I can go on, I think he was in, uh, there, man, there was a movie that he was in that I saw. They said, oh, he was really good. Um, but I don't, I, I'm not, I don't remember. Uh, but so that was cool. I like that we got a mummy reference in this movie. Obviously, Jared Harris did a good job. Uh, Milo as well, his character, his, uh, the actor, I don't remember his name, but he did a really good job. He was very uh, animated and he was essentially the foil for Morbius. So these two guys have grown up and become incredibly rich. Uh, you know, Morbius being a scientist, he created artificial blood, which is actually really cool. Uh, and Milo, we don't know how he became rich other than it seems like he's now being taken care of full time by Jared Harris, which was a huge question mark that I had in the movie, too, because I'm thinking Jared Harris is the, the proprietor of a giant hospital. So what happened? Did the hospital go out of business? Did uh, every person in the hospital pass away except for Milo? Why did he leave and just solely take care of Milo? Didn't make sense at all. Um, but here's a cool thing. I know some people were getting down on the CGI. Uh, I thought the CGI was pretty cool. And when I looked at it from a 2000, early 2000s lens, is actually pretty cool. Uh, a lot of it, the vampire changing, the uh, kind of ghost particles that were around them as they were jumping around and flying, all of that was super cool. I thought I loved the colors too. Like when he's in a, he's in a prison, an orange prison jumpsuit and uh, the colors behind him, his trail is orange. And then there's another scene where he's wearing a little bit of purple, a little flare, and uh, it turns purple as well. Uh, but what was really cool to me, I think my favorite piece of it was the echolocation. So his ears get this really cool, like, uh, frayed look, and then his eyes get really dilated and turn kind of, uh, uh, it almost looked like a like the, uh, the not the remember all, but the uh, the pensieve from Harry Potter. Uh, it, was it was really cool. And then he could hear things miles and miles and miles away which i don't know if that's overpowered or not it was pretty crazy he you know he'd listen and he could hear the entire city and end up finding you know he's looking for the doctor at one point his dr bancroft his uh will they won't they relationship in the movie that actually ended up being pretty strange and that was a note that i had in here as well um he makes another note too when he's uh, being he's being chased by some police officers and they catch him and he needs he needs to get his daily fix of blood and he says, I'm hungry. You wouldn't like me when I'm hungry. And I actually really liked that line because uh, I immediately thought of my wife thinking of me and probably my family too. I have a, I have a, a long streak of being someone who is hangry when they get hungry. And so I, I appreciated that. I can uh, sympathize with Michael Morbius in that regard. Uh, but okay, so he gets, so at this point, he, you know, he turned into the vampire. He kills a couple of people and he flees. But then they catch him and they put him in prison. And Mor uh, Morbius's buddy Milo comes to visit him in prison and brings him a bag of blood. And I'm thinking to myself, how did he get past the pat down? He's got a bag of blood. He's got his cane. He even's like drinking from a like a little whiskey container. Did they not pat him down at all? I I, I couldn't understand that. But um, he brings in blood and they escape and then they fight. So basically, Milo takes this serum along with Morbius even though Morbius tells him not to because it's it's got its costs. But uh, Milo ends up obviously being the bad guy, and so then they have to fight and yada, yada, yada. There's actually a really cool scene in the movie, though, uh, this hospital scene where this character, um, inconsequential character, gets killed by a... Uh, <laughs> we are all a bag of blood. Uh, a bag of artificial blood, maybe. Um, we can't confirm that. But uh, it really cool play with lighting. 
in the, so it's the scene in this really long hallway. And as you walk down the hallway, the, the lights light up. And then when you walk past the lights, they turn off, which was really cool for energy efficiency purposes and also for suspense purposes, because you start seeing a, you know, a vampire crawling on the ceiling and the lights go off and then it's gone. But what I liked the most about it was after the vampire got uh, this person, the lights slowly started shutting off as they got closer to him, uh, which was just really cool. I thought it was a really cool camera scene. It was probably one of the three camera scenes in the movie that I actually liked. Uh, but it was cool. I, I thought it was crazy. And then we get to another interesting piece. I and mean, we're getting to what everyone's wanting to, to talk about, which is, you know, what happens at the end of this? What does this mean for the rest of the MCU? Uh, but at the end of this, Dr. Bancroft, again, if you're not wanting to get spoiled with this, uh, plug your ears for a couple of seconds. But Dr. Bancroft gets captured by uh, Milo and kind of killed, I think. She gets like her blood drained or something. They don't really say. But he finds her on the top of a building and she's bleeding. And she says, basically, feed feed on me, Seymour. And Morbius is like, no, I can't do it. And she says, please make my death mean something. And then she kisses him and bites his lip, which causes a little bit of blood to fall on her. And she makes it act like she was the vampire. Oh, actually, I think, oh, I'm figuring this out live, guys. This is this is a comics and cinema uh, first. Uh, but so, and then she dies. And Morbius is a little more powerful now, and he fights and wins. And the, the movie just kind of ends, but then we get the shot of Bancroft on the roof and she opens her eyes and she's got red vampire eyes. And I was like, I thought she died. But now that I'm saying it, I think maybe because she put his blood in her mouth that maybe she became a vampire too. They didn't explain it. I mean, it took me, what is this now? 24 hours to figure it out, which is uh, not great when you're, you're talking about plot holes. Uh, and then that's it. The movie just ends and he's flying away or something like that. It's kind of silly, but um, we get two post-credit scenes that are both during the credits, so they're not really post-credit scenes. But the the first scene is uh, and again uh, like Mulligan and Let There Be Carnage. I I don't even remember who Mulligan is and Let There Be Carnage. So uh, maybe I guess I mean basically if it's a character that doesn't matter in the movie and is only there as a plot device for the main character, then yeah, it's probably uh, a Mulligan. We can call it a Mulligan going forward, but. The first post-credit scene is Adrian Toomes showing up in a prison cell, and he's like, "Well, isn't this nice?" or something like that. And then there's like a news article or a news briefing about you know Adrian Toomes showed up in an empty prison cell. Oh my gosh! And that's it. That is it. That's the that's the scene, which is insane. I mean, the scene opens up with um, with the the sky cracking, like. Uh, like in Spider-Man No Way Home. Hey, Lisa, that's my wife. Uh, my wife. But uh, it opens up, and so it's like, okay, I don't get this. In uh, in No Way Home, the whole situation, and spoilers if you haven't seen it, is that anybody who knew who Spider-Man was comes through from their universe into the MCU. And then when everything gets solved, they're sent back. Everybody is sent back to where they go. So did Adrian Toomes initially start in the Morbius universe and that's why he went back? That can't be right because that didn't happen at all in Spider-Man Homecoming. So I, I don't know. There's no answers to why that scene even exists. And it doesn't make sense at all. It makes zero sense. And to top it off, <laughs> the second scene that comes just a few bits after that 
is uh, Morbius driving a vehicle into like this into the desert at night. And uh, I think Anthony said uh, that it's it's like an Audi commercial. He shows up. He's got a really nice pea coat on, and uh, he looks like normal Jared Leto. And yeah, Brian is absolutely Sony logic. And uh, he shows up, and we see this. It looked like a plane, and I was like, "Oh no way! Is he about to get picked up and taken away from the Sony universe so we don't have to see him again?" But it ended up being the Vulture, not Adrian Toomes. <laughs> the whole Vulture, the entire wingsuit shows up. He's got a weird new helmet. It looks the same, but not. Totally doesn't sound like uh, Michael Keaton, but I, it kind of does. I don't know if they. I don't know what they were doing. I just hope that he got paid because he shows up and says, essentially, I think, I think we could, he says, we should team up. I think we could do some good. And I was like, what do you mean by good? You mean trouble? Cause you're talking about the sinister six, but then, and then Morbius says intriguing. And then that's the end. And I, again, I was not intrigued. I was not impressed. It was really weird. And I left that just thinking, well, I'm glad that I saw this movie it, it needed to be seen, I think, because another interesting piece of this is I was really curious if people were review bombing this movie because I it seems like with with Sony and anything that's not an MCU movie. Uh, yeah, thank you. And that was the piece I was going to say. How how did he get his suit? So what did he did he steal it from the the vulture in this universe or has he always been in this universe and he had a space? It, none of it made sick made sense at all. And yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. I feel like at the end of every at the end of every Spider-Man movie, there somebody keeps trying to tease the Sinister Six. You get that towards the end of Spider-Man Three. You get that in Amazing Spider-Man Two. I don't get it because I wonder how mad they are that Marvel already did that. They had their Sinister Six in uh, No Way Home, and and they did it with one less character too. So talk about efficiency there. They did it with five. Um, just insane. So, uh, but like I said, I was wanting to see it because. Uh, sometimes I wonder on these reviews because every time a new Marvel movie comes out, it, it, there's a lot of positive buzz about it, right? I mean, even when Eternals came out, I think there were some people, it's not that they said it negatively, they were still pretty positive about it. And then eventually there was a lot of negative reviews about it. But for the most part, most of those movies, they're glowing. I mean, look at the reviews for any MCU property, like, oh my gosh, this is the opening pr the preview reviews are always positive. And then Morbius comes out and it's like, well, it's all negative. And so I always wonder if that's because it's not an, a Marvel Studios movie. And so I had to see it for myself, but uh, it definitely deserved. I don't think it deserved to be treated as meanly as it has by some, but at the same time, if you've got a movie studio that keeps teasing the things that they're teasing, putting Adrian Toomes in scenes that aren't even in the movie, in the trailer to get you to the theater, you deserve to get panned if, if that's what's going on. If, you, if you're more concerned about getting seats opening weekend and for people to come for a very small cameo that you don't even put in the actual movie, then the, you, know, you, you shouldn't be making movies because that's not the point of making movies. Obviously, the money comes. The money's coming, but you have to put out a good film. For people to want to see it it's not enough to just have good sales on opening weekend and morbius only made only it made 39 million uh over the weekend which is pretty good uh for post pandemic i think uh better than i was expecting but again i wonder if that's headstrong and maybe this weekend now that sonic's coming out and also that everywhere all at once uh everything everywhere all at once with michelle yo maybe that's going to take away some people i think the word of mouth is going to be really negative and so i i won't be surprised if we never see morbius again um, and it won't be, oh, 86 million worldwide. Thank you, Brian. 
that's, I guess, I mean, it's, it costs 75 million for them to make it. So they've got to at least make their money back and they haven't done that yet because obviously they marketed the crap out of this movie and had to delay it a bunch of times. So I'm sure the budget is way more than 75 million. But that was Morbius. So like I said, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. Uh, wait, I'm thinking of a different movie. No, uh, I don't I don't plan on going to see that movie again. And uh, if you guys don't want to go see it, I won't be. I certainly won't be offended. I'll be on your side rooting for you to go check out any of the other movies that are in cinema right now. So the second half of the show, what I was going to talk about is a little indie show that I saw on HBO Max over the last few days called Peacemaker. Uh, and to some, some of you may be wondering, okay, Peacemaker has been around for a really long time. Why are you just now seeing this? Well, a good buddy of mine wanted to see it with me. And uh, it took a while for us to kind of coordinate that. And eventually uh, I was allowed to just watch it because time was kind of running out. So I, I busted through it real fast. I watched, uh, I think I watched all of it in two days and it's, it's that good. So uh, you're looking at a spectrum of Morbius and Peacemaker and it's, it's no contest. Peacemaker was amazing. Uh, and there's a lot of really cool cameos in Peacemaker too. So what a cast. I mean, you got John Cena playing the titular character from Suicide Squad. I did not know this either, that James Gunn wrote and directed most of the show. Uh, and you'll see that I'm I'm less inclined to read DC News than I am. I still read it, but for some reason, I, I just wasn't aware of a lot of the things that were going on with uh, Peacemaker. And I'm bummed that I didn't watch it sooner just because I know there was a lot of hype around that show as it was coming out. And I mean, starting off with that opening dance sequence for their titles, that was that was so cool. I uh, oh, and there it is. Thank you, Brian. Uh, I mean, this is the first time in a while that I have not skipped an intro, uh, which is really it's rare, especially when I'm watching it like that in the binge the binge model. Uh, I'm skipping the intros every time because I need to get right into the story. I don't want to see the intro again, but that intro was just too good to pass up. And I love that they got every single person to kind of do a little bit of a dance number, all of the uh, the recurring characters who were there for more than two episodes. Um, so cameo-wise, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hit it off of the... Uh, oh, oh, interesting. Okay, no Creola Verdad. Uh, finally able to watch it. That's cool. So you're right there with me. That's perfect. Um, Christopher Heyerdahl, uh, he is the police chief. Uh, that I thought there's a lot of twists in the show that I was really happy about. And I think I won't go into too many spoilers just because I don't know if everyone's seen it. And this is one where you don't want to be spoiled for it. There's some really cool uh, twists and turns in it. But Christopher Heyerdahl plays the police chief, but he also plays Marcus in the Twilight movies. If any of you caught that, I noticed it because he was one of my favorite characters. He always had the uh, that really long and sad and sullen face. And I could never look away in the Twilight movie. So I was glad to see him. Uh, and then what was it? Zach, uh, I'm looking at Zach Santiago, but oh, his father, uh, which I got to find uh, Robert Patrick uh, played Augie Smith, uh, John Cena playing Christopher Smith. They both play side to side in a, a movie called the Marine. If any of you have seen that, that was uh, a movie my brothers and I would watch all the time. Really funny movie, lots of explosions. Uh, they were a good guy and bad guy in that movie, so kind of the same here. I thought he was fantastic as the terrible bad guy of a father in so many different ways. I mean, James Gunn, he just gets family dynamics, I think. And I know he's had some interviews where he um, he talks about his father and some of the instances with his, his own family and how that's kind of... Uh, 
you know, inspired some of his writing. But you see that with his Guardians movies. You see that with, uh, I feel like maybe a little bit with Brightburn. But you're seeing it again here. You see it in Suicide Squad. Half the people there have, uh, whoa, whoa. Is Ed, is it, Ed is in the comments? Wow, nice. Okay, cool. Hey, Ed. Um, but it, it was just, it was really cool to see James Gunn finding just another way to add layers, especially to a father-son duo. Because you get that with Ego and Peter in um, Guardians, and then you get that in multiple ways in Suicide Squad with Bloodsport and his dad, Ratcatcher and her father, uh, and then kind of with Peacemaker. I don't think they talk about it too much, but here's another really cool way of showing that, that the trauma that you know his father puts on him kind of made him the way, way that he was. Uh, favorite actor, and that's actually my mom. What's up, mom? Uh, favorite actor is the Eagle. Eagly was awesome. Uh, from the minute that he gets a hug from that Eagle uh, was amazing. And, and Jalen, I know you're a big fan of animals. Uh, if you, you're going to love Eagly and uh, just amazing. Every scene, with, he's a scene stealer. And uh, he's also John Cena's best friend, which I thought was great. Uh, Freddie Stroma, who plays Cormac McClagan from the Harry Potter movies, is in this as Vigilante who is an absolute psychopath and uh, bordered on cringe at some points only because again, the things that he said, it was like, what are you doing, man? Like you do not need to be saying that, or you do not need to be pointing a gun at this person. Uh, but then when the time came where he actually had to step up and do something, he always made it work. Like he always um, perfect shots. Just, Oh, he was great. Especially that scene where they, uh, again, I won't spoil it, but there's, there's a bit where they're having to snipe some people. And uh, Peacemaker can't do it. And so Vigilante has to step in, So, uh, which was so cool. Uh, let's see who else is. Oh, yeah. Daniel Brooks is in this from Orange is the New Black as uh, Leota. And you find out almost immediately that she is uh, Amanda Waller's daughter, which was really cool and a really interesting wrinkle. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Anthony just said, man, it would have been so much cooler if he threw the chainsaw at me. That that bit was awesome. That scene and that episode, there was just there was so much... Uh, kind of a, not necessarily attacks on toxic masculinity, but just addressing it. And I think it was so cool to see that being addressed from so many different angles because you have the, the buffed up guy in Peacemaker. You have the very insecure guy in Vigilante. But then you also have, um, was it, Economos. Uh, and he had some instances as well where he is trying to be more than he actually is and realizes he doesn't need to, that his friends are going to accept him as he is. Uh, but that whole bit with the chainsaw was was one of the best parts of the series, I think, especially with him getting made... Economos gets made fun of a lot in this show. And yeah, it's cool, Diebeard. And uh, everything... James Gunn just killed it when it came to callbacks. There are so many things that he mentions or talks about in early episodes that come up again, either in the finale or in the penultimate episode as well, uh, which was cool. Morbius didn't do any of that, so um, there you go. Uh, we also got uh, uh, Chuck Woody Awuji, who plays uh, Mern. Uh, I will not reveal anything about his character other than to say he did a really good job as well. He's from John Wick, uh, if any of you have seen that movie. Uh, there's another film that he was in too where I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Um, I'd have to double check because uh, my IMDb on the computer does not tell me the things that I've seen. Uh, we also got Lachlan Monroe, who uh, fans of Riverdale was the uh, Black Hood and uh, Betty's uh, Betty's father. That was cool. 
And then Jennifer Holland played Amelia Harcourt, who uh, is kind of the, the duo with Economos from the Suicide Squad movie. So like I said, this show was really, really fun. Uh, from that first episode, I was absolutely hooked and, and I watched four in a row and then kind of did the same thing with the other four. I think I broke them up into maybe pieces of two, but it just, it flies by and, and all credit to HBO and I guess to Warner Brothers as well for making something kind of in the same vein as the Marvel and Star Wars shows where it's only eight episodes and the episodes are 40-ish minutes long, maybe 45 to 50, uh, and they're quick. They fly by. Harcourt is engaged. Oh, nice. Congrats to James. That's cool. Harcourt was uh, um, Lori Lightfoot's. Uh, I'm not, oh, Lori Lightfoot. Okay. I think I think I remember who that is. I'm getting a, getting a lot of names. Oh, yeah. Kevin says the glam rock soundtrack was fantastic as well. Again, what a total James Gunn move, but at the same time, something so fresh where he's he, James Gunn is obsessed with music and putting it in his stuff. And he's not, I don't think he's done something like this before or really was the, you know, hair metal and, and uh, you know, rock star type music. And they say it multiple times, you know, there's never a wrong time to rock. And uh, that's actually how Economos and uh, um, Peacemaker become friends in a way is because they, they're through this love of rock. Uh, but there's a lot of cool stuff in here. Again, if you know James Gunn, you know that he's a big fan of Aliens and big creatures and again that's all i'll say with no spoilers on that and other than he did it like i thought that was so cool that once I, you start seeing the creatures and they're there it's not that big of a spoiler but uh you, you think like okay is this this is the same as suicide squad or this is the same as the guardians movies and it's not everything is just a little bit different and it does make me wonder for how many more times he can do kind of a not necessarily a carbon copy Oh, there we go. There he is, Lori Lightfoot. Oh, wow. Okay, the, yes, my, <laughs> yeah, almost identical. Uh, that's crazy. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, also, voice of Eagly was D. Bradley Baker, who many of you probably don't know or do from almost every single thing that needs a voiceover, whether that is uh, the Star Wars, the Clone Wars. Or uh, I think I saw he did uh, he did something else too. I think he was in The Hobbit as well. Uh, but he's he's got a lot of, a lot of voice credits. But again, I think the message of this movie was really strong, and it's something that so easily could have just been. I mean, Peacemaker in and of himself in the Suicide Squad was kind of a joke, and in, in a good way. I mean, he he killed every single person that he shot. He's he's a skilled guy with any gun. And, um, and, and that was it. And then he gets shot at the end and you, you assume he's dead, but then you stay after the credits and, uh, he's not exactly dead. And so from there it was like, okay, well, how much more of a story is there to tell with this guy? And how, how much of emotional range does John Cena have? Cause we've only seen him in a few things like the Marine and blockers. And I saw him in, uh, uh, there's a vacation movie. I don't remember the name of it, but it was a Hulu original. Uh, where it was him, it was like two couples that went to an island and he was this crazy couple. Uh, but he displayed, oh, that, that's what it was. Thank you, Kevin. He was Morris in Shang-Chi. Thank you. Um, he did such a good job. And I I mean, I can't say enough good things about John Cena. He's He's been one of my favorite wrestlers turned actors. Uh, he's right up there with The Rock for me. And to see him doing so well throughout time, because oftentimes a lot of wrestlers they'll go in and then that's about it. 
and you know they do a couple movies and it's like oh actually this guy can't really act we're gonna need to you know <laughs> step away from him and really it feels like the only one who ever really pulled it off was the rock but john cena is really he i mean we didn't see him coming and i think that makes sense because you know, we couldn't see him coming. So now here he is and he's kicking butt in every single thing that he's in. And yes, yeah, Anthony, his comedic chops are up there with Chris Hemsworth. I absolutely agree. I I don't know. Is this a hot take? I, he might be. He, he's made me laugh more than Chris Hemsworth has made me laugh. I'm not saying he's funnier than Chris Hemsworth. I'm just saying with my humor, he has made me laugh more, specifically in this show, too. There were probably five, at least five laugh out loud moments every single episode. Some of them had more than that. But it wasn't just those moments. It was the moments where he got really sad and introspective. And again, he's trying to put on this masculine attitude. And he doesn't need to, but he still feels the need to. And it, it just something that clearly James Gunn understands really well. But what a great foil for this random B-list DC hero. And there's a lot of mentions of other DC heroes in the show as well. Uh, we get some stuff about uh, Aquaman, about a lot of... He basically has like a weird story for every single DC hero. And uh, those were really funny to listen to. Uh, interesting. Okay. Um, we'll see. Hey, everyone is entitled to a little bit, a bit of their opinion, Brian, when it comes to Chris or whether it's Chris. But, you know, we're talking about Chris here in this actual show. I actually like that, too. He's got a very basic name, Chris Smith. Uh, but, yeah, it just... The whole story with his brother and what his dad did and made him do uh, with his brother was really, really sad. And just to see um, see Robert Patrick as his dad really being evil. And it, it's funny, you see characters like you know, Thanos. I would put this guy above Thanos in terms of being actually evil because you know Thanos at least loved his kids. And he may say that he loved his other son, Keith, but he does not show that to Chris at all. And he's incredibly mean to him at multiple points in time. But he also has a really cool quantum subparticle uh, closet that hides all of their equipment, which is really random and really awesome. And so you, you compare that to the random scenes in Morbius and it's like, how did they not take a page out of this book? Like they, it was so cool. You just open the closet door and type in the code and this giant just uh, oh, it was like a, what do you call it? A loose space and time sort of thing. Uh, very cool. Very awesome. He's got all these different cool helmets, which were great. Uh, I loved all the helmets. Seeing that Sonic Boom helmet was absolutely messed up uh, in a really cool way, uh, especially at the end. The uh, <laughs> the Cannonball one reminded me of Cannonball from the comics. That was cool too. And then the uh, anti-gravity helmet was great as well. Didn't Didn't last very long. Uh, but still, also a big question, I don't know if any of you know this, but um, how did he even get an eagle as a pet? I kept thinking, like, that can't be legal, uh, legal eagle in that sense. Like, And also, I'm, I'm impressed that the eagle never flew away or that the police were like, hey, man, you, you can't legally have an eagle. Like, we're going to have to take that. That's the country's bird. Um, but either way, I was happy that he had it. I loved his little, um, his trailer park as well. It was really great where he stayed in his trailer. Um, just a lot of cool scenes, a lot of really cool, a gift from the government. Eagly is a gift from the government. That's uh, That makes sense, I guess. That would mean why they didn't they didn't do any of that. But it was cool. Like I said, uh, it sounds like they have approved it for a second season already, which is awesome. There's definitely some more things to be explored. And that, that I liked a lot too, that by the end of the season, 
you know, in lesser hands, maybe that that would have been it, that his emotional growth would have been over. He's graduated to being this better person. And that's not the spot we leave him in, which I really liked. He still has a lot of room to grow, uh, a lot of room to become a really great hero. And again, in other hands, I don't think anyone other than Cena could have pulled off some of the things that he pulls off because there's a lot of questionable moments in the show of things that he does where it's like, man, you are, you are pushing me. You are, you are on thin ice with me, but then he would do something else that was really sweet. And it was like, okay. And I, I think they even say it at one point, uh, Harcourt says it something like you are, you know, I used to think that you were complete trash, but uh, now you're like 80% trash and the other percent's actually like a pretty okay guy. And uh, that was just, it was great. A lot of, a lot more crying in the show than I thought that there would be, but like I said, I really enjoyed it. If you guys haven't seen it, highly recommend checking it out. All the episodes are on HBO Max. Uh, and then the last bit I'll leave you guys with is uh, uh, kind of, I do this every once in a while, but you know, I, I watch a lot of movies. And so I do like a lightning round of recent movies that I've watched. So I went, uh, and maybe I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, but I was at my cousin's bachelor party last weekend. And so we'd watched some movies, you know, in the evenings. And uh, so I watched, we watched Django. If any of you have seen that, Django Unchained by Quentin Tarantino. That movie is insane. It's, it, it, uh, it's such a classic and so wild too. We started watching it on TV. So every other word was censored and then there were commercial breaks. And so eventually we just switched to Netflix and uh, watched it on Netflix. But man, that, that movie is just, it's like the ultimate revenge flick. I, I loved it. Uh, another night we watched, uh, we started watching, we only got 20 minutes into the Three Stooges, the 2012 Three Stooges uh, that has Will Sasso as Mo, and then the guy who plays Russ in uh, Silicon Valley as Mo. sorry, Will Sasso was curly. Uh, like I said, we were only about 20 minutes into it, and uh, <laughs> I kind of liked it. Uh, I'm kind of a stu- my family, we're, we're big stooge heads and, and I'd never seen the movie before. So I look forward to finishing it, even though uh, I'll tell you this, I, I prefer to watch uh, the three stooges than Morbius. So that, that'll should tell you something. Uh, and then the other movie, Oh, we, we all watched the other guys. And if you guys, I'm sure a lot of you have seen the other guys, that movie is fantastic. Uh, that's, uh, Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg as <laughs> he shot Jeter. And I feel like every line in that movie is quotable and there's so much about it. That is such a time capsule aim for the bushes is a classic. Uh, and just, you get, it's another Michael, Michael Keaton movie. So we get to see Michael Keaton belting off some TLC, uh, tracks as well. That was great. The biggest surprise though, of the weekend was my brother, actually and mom if you don't know this yet you should talk to joey because if you haven't seen it you definitely need to but i'm a peacock cap you gotta let me fly <laughs> oh man yeah oh god i, I could yeah man the, the, the quotes are coming in keep them coming guys uh but we watched joey bought my brother uh a digital copy of spider-man no way home and so we watched that movie again with a couple of people who hadn't seen it yet which was really cool that movie is movie's just so awesome there's so many good parts to it i'm trying to think if there's anything in it that stuck out to me from my what is this now probably fifth viewing of it uh but it was it was just awesome i mean and that was we we were up pretty late that night because we we had gone out and we did not fall asleep watching that movie it was i mean my other brother stevie falls fell asleep during that movie but again you know he's he's not as big of a marvel guy so no no problem yeah (laughs) did you did you yell at america no i didn't 
And then when he have when he goes in and, and grabs uh he goes and grabs uh, uh, Mark Wahlberg from his his apartment and shoots the ceiling. Apartment pop, let's go. It takes him. Oh yeah, there's that movie is so great. And that, that movie also kind of ends as well, the same way Morbius does, where the the peacock just flies out of the scene into the sky, and then the movie ends and is like, oh okay. I really wish there'd be a sequel. I'd take a sequel to the other guys, even if it was two new people playing it. Um, that would be cool. That'd be cool too. But guys, I think that that's kind of where we're at right now. So um, those are the movies that I saw. Uh, we've got some new movies coming out this week too in theaters. Sonic 2 hits theaters uh, this Thursday, as does Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, which I am really looking forward to. I'm seeing things that says... Uh, it's uh, does the multiverse better than Marvel? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> goodbye, goodbye, Terry. <laughs> goodbye, Terry. Good night. Oh, I, mean, I don't remember what her name is, but uh, his wife, just a big old broad, uh, just the ball and chain. She is, uh, <laughs> she is plain. All right, she is absolutely plain. But um, so check out some of those movies coming out this weekend. Um, like I said, I think everywhere, all everyone, everywhere, all at once is going to be a really good one. It sounds like it's going to be absolutely bonkers. But that's the perfect thing to go see in a movie theater. And I'm sure Sonic's going to be a lot of fun, too. I still haven't seen The Lost City yet, and I really want to. Uh, but that's kind of where we're at. And the last thing I'll leave you guys with is, for those of you that are unaware, Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness. Tickets go on sale tomorrow. Uh, look to the comments for the exact time. I don't know if that's midnight or if that's 9 a.m. There it is. Yeah, bye, Sheila. <laughs> Good night, Terry. Yeah, go inside, Alan. Bye, Sheila. Good night, Sheila. Uh, it's like, this can't be real. You guys can't be. Gaten <laughs> needs his cat. Guys, you guys are killing me. Um, but yeah, Doctor Strange tickets go on sale tomorrow. Uh, get those in advance. I imagine that that movie's going to fill up. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, it's only clocked at two hours and six minutes. And I say only, I know, I know. Uh, with credits, this probably means it's probably less than two hours. But that means that movie is probably going to be a really fast-paced movie. I know Sam Raimi does a really good job with short window times and just getting it all done. So super excited to see that. I'm, I'm shooting to go see it on Thursday of opening night and probably on Friday and maybe even on Saturday too. Who knows? But uh, stay tuned to Comics and Cinema because we'll have a, a big mega episode that we'll do uh, a recording on. So for all of you guys listening, thank you so much to everyone who's in the comments as well that's been uh, talking things up here. Thank you guys so much for your participation. This is really exciting. Uh, first live stream for Comics and Cinema and certainly not the last. So I hope you guys all enjoyed this both here in this live setting on YouTube. And for those of you that are checking it out afterwards, I hope the podcast format still holds up. If it doesn't, let me know and I'll try and edit it a little better. But for Comics and Cinema, I'm your host, Alex Klein, and we will see you at the movies.